we got our location slightly wrong. We got it. I know. I wish we'd found out earlier. Because we brought us train as flight. Train. Well, we had to do. I did a train. Oh, and then, yeah, to get and then, to the airport. Yeah. Uh, to go to New York, only to find a lady there, and we asked, "Do you know if this is where Vengeance's Mine was set?" And she said, "Well, it was in the uh, in the short story." And then she couldn't help us anymore. So then we downloaded the PDF on uh, with, on the internet there, and uh, we've had to come back to Fleet Street in. Well, actually, it's not even Fleet Street that we're sort in. Sort of just we? off Fleet Street. Yeah, we're it? we're in a part of New- London right now, so that's cost us for nothing for now. And it's probably our own fault for not doing adequate research, though. To be fair, but we're just researching the program. Now, what we did get right was the reading of the internet. Yeah. It was, this is originally set in New York. Yeah. It's not set in New York for the TV programme. We're back in London. Yeah, it's a warning for anybody who's wanting to sort of do the tour with us. Yeah. Don't bother going to New York for this bit. Or do. Or do, because that's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Retrace the footsteps. So anyway, that well, that was half an hour... Well, no, thinking about it, it was probably longer than half an hour, wasn't it? Well, the trip to New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. yeah. So it's probably longer than half an hour. That's that's cost us, and more than forty-four pounds to win plane oh, tickets. Easily more than forty-four. Yeah. Yeah. I'm only guessing. I'll, I'll have to check the bank accounts later. We are back. Welcome to the Tales of the Unexpected podcast. We are Cobb. We are Cobb. Well, I've noticed there's a thing. It's probably been going on for quite a while. Right. You, what happened, what originally I found this out was like a celebrity would have a, like most people have a, a first name and a surname mm. and you would take some of the first name and some of the surname and join them together. Oh, and, and that's right. What I've seen recently is in particular the kids. Uh, Brangelina. Yes, because they are. You Brad sh- and Angelina. Yeah, so we are Chris and Rob, we're Cobb. Right, but yeah. as much as I complain about the millennials, I probably shouldn't have even referred to us being Cobb. <laughs> I don't like it. Right. But we are Cobb. We could be Chob, but Cobb's better. Ch- Chob sounds like an erection, it doesn't does, it? It does, doesn't it? We, don't, we want to steer clear of that, really, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> yeah, what else could it be? It could be Riss or Ross. Ross, yeah. We're yeah. Ross. Well, Should we just good. stick to the Chris and Rob? <laughs> It'd be pretty easy, wouldn't it? Yeah. We're Chris and Rob. Not Cobb. Right, so we've said already that this this was originally in the original uh, Tales of the Unexpected book thing. and the, It was actually... From the uh, short stories. Yeah, uh, published in a short story collection called More Tales of the Unexpected, which yeah, came out in 1980. Yeah, I wonder what that's about. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, that, that was actually uh, almost like a, an appendix, because the main stories, we, and we've probably covered some of these, and we will be certainly covering, but there's uh, Taste, Lamb to the Slaughter, Man from the South, mm. and then... The Soldier we haven't done, My Lady, My Love we've done, Dipping the Pool, Galloping Foxy. So there's a lot of what we've uh, already done and it so carries on. It looks like it's like one of those greatest hits then, doesn't it? That's right. And then this was like if you bought a, almost like, I'm guessing, like the, the second version, the second publication. And there were eight more books added. Yeah. This was one of them. Umbrella Man was one of them. Botty Bowl, the second right. go. Vengeance is Mine. 
um, and the Hitchhiker. We the rest of them we haven't done yet because it does tend to happen nowadays. Which didn't just happen when I was small. That bands will put like an album out and it'll have say two new songs on it, and then it'll have all the old songs on it. Well, like a best of. Yeah. Uh, best of, but then how can you quantify that a new song which has never been heard is a best of? Yeah. So yeah. you know what, what? What's that? Greatest hits. That's what they're usually called, aren't they? Greatest hits. Now we went to see. I went to see. I was in Hyde Park and there was a music festival on. In would in, that be Hyde Park Music Festival? No, no. it was the Radio Two uh, Festival in a Day, oh. and in that lineup was Blondie. Oh yeah. Blondie, who you know, call me. Denny, Denny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I liked it, liked it. What's the one about the heart? Heart of glass. Glass, yeah, right, okay. Yeah. Now then, in that, they also, Blondie, added two new songs. Right. Which nobody heard of. Now, right, if, right. if you're at Glastonbury or whatever, oh, drop me pen. If you're at Glastonbury or, or wherever, what you've got to do is you've got to have crowd pleasers. Yeah. This isn't your gig. Yeah. George, was it, it was somebody got in trouble for doing that. Oh, it was uh, that Manchester fella. I'll take that. Jason it, Orange? No, George Barlow or somebody. G- uh, Gary Barlow. Gary Barlow. Did he get, was it him? Some, somebody did it outside the palace and they did something that was new that, that nobody, I don't know. Why would they have, why would they have done that? <laughs> why would he have done that? Yeah. Well, Gary Barlow annoys the, the life out of me. There was, it was in that take that and then, he, then they split up, and he tried to have a bit of a solo career. Yeah. And he were like a laughing stock. Yeah. And but then they reformed, and he's now no longer a laughing stock. What changed? What changed? They came back. Yes. It's because he's not. He can write the songs, but nobody's interested in Barlow. Nobody's interested in Barlow. And that goes for Deirdre and Kenneth. <laughs> it's, it must be the name. I think it's the name. And I'm Tracy. Trying- Nobody's interested in the Barlows. I sort of might be remotely interested in Tracy. Barlow would be a good name for a, an artist. It's a Barlow. Circa yeah. 1956. Yeah. Uh, in fact, isn't uh, it the name of the um, vampire in uh, Salem's Lot? Oh, or his helper? I forget now. Have a, have a quick look. It's somewhere, it's somewhere uh, in there. It's one or the other, I'm sure it is. Well, uh Whilst we're on the subject of Salem's Lot, um, yeah, I forget what I was going to say. All oh, right, uh, oh, never mind. Anyway, right. Well, um, so we there. I'll just edit this bit out again. Kurt Barlow. Yeah, yeah, he's he was the, the, he's the monster, the, kind of like the main vampire guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, yeah. there you go. They're all hideous. That's what we're trying to say. In <laughs> one's a vampire. What, ah, that'd be good. One's a, a bloodsucker, and the other one is a vampire from <laughs> Salem's Lot. There we go. Right, now then, let's start, because I started writing this in pencil, and I had one of them, like, workman pencils. I saw that, one of those thick pencils. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Workman swear Why? It. Why is that? Why have I you got a workman's pencil? Found it. Thought that would be left, interesting. Where? In your that, house? It'd be left by a workman. I don't know. I can't remember where I got it, but I thought that would... Uh, that would cause a scene. Because they're sort of square, aren't Well, rectangular in yeah. cross-section. The lead is, like, rectangular yeah. all the way down. Yeah. Anyway. Well, my dad, he was a plumber, so he... He, he, he would have had that. He, he did. Yeah, he would yeah. have had it. Um, so... Not that one. No. Mine's fairly new. Yeah. 
I started writing in that, and then when I was, you know, you move your pen around and stuff, it started to write thick and then thin and stuff. Uh, so I went back to the biro. So yeah. this is what I got. It's roll. It's another roll dial. Yeah, we've already covered that. Proper bit proper roll dial. In this, we have some actors and actresses uh-huh. with brilliant names. Right, one. Betsy Blair. It's a great name. In it, it's amazing. Yeah. Then check this one out. Bosco Hogan. I know. Bosco Hogan. It's a great name, isn't, isn't it? it? And I think I know. Uh, I've heard of Bosco Hogan. He was in Angel. He was. He was in Ballykiss Angel. Well, and then linked to. I mean, Ballykiss kind of got a bit of a, a viewing in the early nineties and stuff. It it raised the. Uh, Kind of like, I guess, that drama. People got fell in love with drama again. Yeah. And then, somebody else who was in this, um, Julian Fellows, who uh, was the writer of Downton Abbey. And he's uh, now the Right Honourable the Lord Fellows of West Stafford. Well, there we go. So, we, this is... Uh, it turned out to be star-studded, even though... At the time, we didn't know. Nobody knew that. Yeah, so... It was a bit unexpected, really. We have a, another intro... From Dahl. Yeah. He explains that a, a gossip columnist, and if I'm going to liken this to today's audience, it's kind of like that Weekly World News style thing, that Heat magazine style yeah. thing, where, where the, the, the rise of the unknown celebrity, so, you know, people from that one that I watch, the Essex one that I watch, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. they're always getting reported in it. They're getting their fame, even though they're not famous, and actual world news events aren't, are just being overlooked. Well, inspired by your sort of trolling of the what might be sort of thought of as the lower echelons of the yeah, TV Yeah, I don't world. even think it hits an echelon to me. Yeah, it's a sub-echelon. Yeah, it's a sub-echelon. But inspired by that, I've been dipping my toe in that sort of thing through magazines. Now, this is the, exactly the same thing that we're talking about here, yeah. yeah. Now, this is called Love It... And it's 69p. It's still only 69p, so yeah. it's always been 69p. And uh, it's it's one where ordinary people yeah. write in yeah. to sort of tell their story. I know, I know these, yeah. So, there's this one, and it's called I Got the School Runs. Is that like a diarrhoea thing? It's a diarrhoea thing, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, I was being facetious. Well, no, but that, that's what it is. So this, this mum, she writes how she took her child to school, and she was chatting with the group of mums, and then I'll quote now. Suddenly I felt my stomach knot. I had a desperate urge to break wind. I had no choice but to let rip. Only it wasn't wind. Seconds later, a torrent of diarrhoea filled my knickers and started to run down my legs. To make matters worse, I had a short skirt on. How much would you have to be paid to write in a story about when I shit myself? There's a picture of her. There's a picture of her as well. How old is she? What is her age? Well, she doesn't look very old. No, she doesn't. She looks thirty-one. She's thirty-one. Why is she writing this? And the thing is, readers, listeners, sorry, that this takes up. More than half of the magazine page. And in big white letters against a pink background, I got the school runs. This, it feels like this is, it warrants like a bigger new, a better news story than I shit myself on the way to school. <laughs> Do we know what happened 
afterwards? Well, what happened is, uh, what what happened is that uh, <laughs> the other mums gasped and shuffled away in utter horror. <laughs> What's that, mum? Said her son, pointing <laughs> at my legs. Grabbing his hand, I marched him across the playground, and I could see every single mum and the teachers staring at me with disgust on <laughs> their faces. <laughs> so then, when she got back into the car, she rang her husband, told him what had happened. When she got home, she checked Facebook, and the husband had put the whole thing on his Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> so she made him take it down. This is the reason why I don't read these magazines or go on Facebook, by the way. Yeah. That's, I don't need to sum it up any better than what's right. I there. got the school rooms. That's, that's the... So these people here, they, they're actually they're not famous to begin with, but they're trying to make an... I mean, this is, this is the point where you just go, I need, I, I'd love to be in a magazine, but what can I possibly write in about? I know. I shit myself. I once. shit myself at the time, and I'll... <laughs> Uh, right, okay. I, I've never written to a magazine. I, I mean, there will have been times when that's happened. I've, I've written to... I mean, about shitting myself. No, I would never write about shitting myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have. Yeah. Because well, we all have. Well, yeah. We're, but we're, it's not something you'd write You don't to. get to my age without shitting yourself. My mate staff shits himself at least twice a year. As a celebration? No, it's not. No, no, <laughs> no, he's... No, it's like you won't go through a year without going, ah, oh, done it again. By accident, sort of thing. By annual. <laughs> um, and so, uh, this gossip columnist, that right. or rather this magazine, this gossip mag... No, it's, it's not a gossip mag... Gossip, gossip columnist of uh, an established magazine. Um, newspaper, newspaper, Daily Bugle. The Daily Bugle, which is a, an unknown English newspaper, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's kind of like he's the Heat magazine writer of that time. And what he does is he will write about things that have happened when he's been in uh, like a nightclub and he sees a celebrity who's cracking on with another celebrity and, or, or, as they like to put it, a mysterious blonde. Oh. That's what they put. Mm. So that's the sort of thing he writes about. Now, what, what Roald Dahl... Sorry. Yeah, well, I was going to say, so Roald's saying that if these things are done maliciously... They can literally ruin someone's life. So he's then going to say, "Here's remember that when you're listening to this, because this is like a parable yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> for, for what's for. Don't think about getting into this business because this is the sort of thing that might happen. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> it's it's unlikely, but it's probably closest to adhering to what follows than you usually get with Robert. Because <laughs> he usually says something that's absolutely nothing to do with it. No, oh no, he's been quite keen, but the, I think what he's doing is going, uh, uh, it's like panicking, uh, this might happen. Uh, <laughs> if he... Right, it starts off then, um, with two, in a bedsit, with two, it seems like, out of work or freelance journalists type yeah, things. Yeah. Uh, they, they haven't had a gig for a while. They live in a, uh, a classic bed sit. It's two beds in this... I mean, we're in a room that's bigger yeah. than their bed. They're their whole house at the moment. It right? was shocking. Do you think that was real? Do you think I think it is. I think that's... I went to see my, my sister's... One of my sister's ex-partners. She. I went to his house once and I was amazed to find that he was living in like a room with everything. So we had a bed and everything in there. Yeah. He did share the building with a few other people. Now, what I understand is that that whole floor would have cost about a million quid. 
wow. right? Because he lived in the central London. So I don't think this is too far from. Right. From what, if you were trying to work in London and you had, you know, you had to do yeah. do the best you could. Well, they've that, got zero income. They've got zero income. They're living off the the money from where the father one. Yeah, and, and and bit bits of work here and there, I guess. So that's um, that that's the setup then. So the, he's doing like he's. he's one of them's in bed, like sort of Grandpa Joe from Charlie Willie and the Wonka Factory. Apart from there aren't three other options. No, it's just, in there with him. <laughs> just him. And and I think he looks a bit like Peter Cook. Oh yeah, he's got with the long floppy hair. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Peter yeah. Cook, late seventies, yeah. early eighties. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which would have been round about that. Time. Yeah, that's right. And and the other one is, is the, Julian Fellows, yeah. who's called George, and looks very, very young and very different to yeah. how he looks now on his Wikipedia page. But he also seems to have accepted his fate that he's li- this is the way that they've got to live. Yeah. So he puts the coffee on and stuff. This is how they do it, and he's exercising in the little space that they've got and stuff. But he seems to be quite upbeat about their situation. The Tom, the other one, that's right. His name's Tom. Is it? I think so. Tom. Let's just. Yeah, uh, I think his name's Tom. Right. Anyway, the other one, the American one, Peter Cook, Peter, the Peter Cook style guy, yeah. who's not played by Julian Fellows, the other one, is. Um, an American who's in bed and he is going, oh, I haven't had a job for fucking ages. And then he reads and he's getting pissed off because he's reading this newspaper scandal about um, that's written by a guy called Lionel Brewster. He's a gossip, gossip columnist. And he goes, oh, you know, how can he get away with it? And here's an example. He's, he's, you know, he's pretty much reporting on a p- potential infidelity in the hoi polloi which could cause grounds for divorce, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like, it's, you know, it's not, it's not nice, this. This is not nice. And then, I don't know if you notice, idea music. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> that's right, yeah. It's, uh, bling, 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 bling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I wrote down. I put uh, comedy music, uh, light bulb moment. Yeah, so I put idea music. Yeah. Now, it's... it's uh, a fun idea music because later on in the episode we hear evil evil idea music. <laughs> um, so he's explaining that his idea is that what we could do is we could get him back because people are going to be pissed off with this man. Yeah. So if we got him back, that will make the newspapers as well. People be really kind of cool about it and they'll pay them for the privilege of get doing the punishment yeah. which is quite a clever idea it's really it's a good idea except you are going to be perhaps in trouble with the law you are and, and, and I, I've I don't know if this was inspired by but I read a book called Sorry I think it was just called Sorry it may, may have been called Sorry Inc I can't remember it was a German book it was translated. The tran- version I had was translated. It's, quite it's 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 a novel. It's brilliant. What happens is they find out about something that's happened to somebody, and instead of getting them all upset and pissed off and carrying on this vendetta, they just apologise on behalf of the other person right. with with by some means, and it's kind of like the world's in peace again. So they're. Helping out anonymously, almost. So they're apologising on behalf of somebody else. They're apologising on behalf of somebody else. I think there's a cost involved, right. but they they basically they'll do anything to make sure that that that, that person is like I feel much better now that I've been apologised oh, so to. That's, it's a good idea. So this one is is, is sort of re- reverse. Yeah, a bit of a similar but in reverse. It's kind of like 
we will get them back for you so you can feel better about them and, and they will punish, be punished in, the, in a similar sort of way that, that you've been published because, punished, sorry, because of the way you're published in the newspaper. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so that's the idea. Now then, he goes, um, what could be, what, what could we do as the menu of punishment? That's yeah. what I'll call it, a tariff. A tariff, yeah. So, yeah. it says, what we could do is, we could go and get this Lionel Brewster and punch him on the nose, right? That, a punch on the nose... 250 quid. Will cost 250 quid. So the idea is that somebody will say, Lionel Brewster... Has maligned me. Has, yeah, and I'd like to get him back. Here's 250 quid. Yeah. Punch him on the nose for me. And I think what, the, what these guys are going to do as well is they're going to tell the person who's paying them when the incident happened so they can go and watch it in, in it, real time. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, not only that, but they're, going, they're saying what we should do is we should have a second punishment. So what could the next one be? It's got to be a little bit worse than the first. Which, which they're black in his eye. So, so a punch on the nose and then a black eye. So the punch on the nose is 250, the black eye is 350. For idea number three, they'll do both. 500 quid. For 500 quid, because they've worked out that they'll, they'll offer a £100 discount for doing a two for, two for one. But, but you know, I, I would have thought quite often the, the good punch in the nose is going to result in black and eye. It, yeah, it could do. This is just the one way to make sure of it. And they, they'd sort of like go the... The yeah, one two, the one two. Suggesting there's the one two, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, the next one's a little bit strange. Yeah, because it's gone from let's go. So punch nose, right? Okay. Then punch to get the black eyes. Then the combination of the two. The, the next one then is a, it's a bit of a leap, um, <laughs> in that it's a rattlesnake. Yeah. Um, uh, venom free. They're oh yeah, venom. they're going to devenomize it. Uh, but then when. George uh, but, says, where are we going to get one from? No, but also, the, the, that rattlesnake will be in the, ca- the, the, the man's in the car, car. And, it, and by his foot pedals. Yeah. yeah. And Peter Cook says, you can always buy one. Yeah, you can always buy them, apparently. In, and, and, you know, that might sort of be true if this was set in America. It could be in, like, the, the kind of like Arizona, the deserty, yeah, the deserty parts of like America, that. yeah, but... Far as I know, not in London. Not easy to get no. hold of in London. Well, we could have a look on our dinner hour, can't we? Let's do that in our dinner hour. Now then, the next one is that. That, by the way, the rattlesnake is seven hundred and fifty quid. Seven hundred and fifty quid for that. The next one, they're trying to find it. They're trying to get it up to a thousand quid, basically. So they go for number five, and they decide that they're going to. They would kidnap, shave the head, and right, then a slogan of the payer's choice. Yes. Somewhere Where's that on them, on the, on the back? somewhere on the head, maybe. Yeah. Right, and but then dump them in Piccadilly. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you've been to Piccadilly Circus. I have. Yeah. It's, it's like Piccadilly Circus. Piccadilly Circus. It, I mean, it used to have quite a bad reputation, didn't it? It used to be sort of thought to be a hangout of drug users and things like that. Oh, really? Back, back in the sixties. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, you've got. Leicester Square, Piccadilly Circus, quite close to each other. Just just behind all of that is Soho, Chinatown and stuff. So I right. guess I guess it's where a, a multitude of people collide, isn't it? It's like some are looking for entertainment, some are looking for seedy, some are looking for some good food. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, so um, that's what they're going to do. Now then, what they've got to do in order to get 
this note out there is to contact the people that were maligned yeah. in from the newspaper. So they've gone after the two people that they're reading about in this week's in this daily column, right? Yeah. Which is um, what's his name, Mr. Wil- Wilbur. Mr. Wilbur, and some other, another. Yeah, we, so, so we never really concentrate on that one. But they, but this is how they do it. They go to a phone box, find the address. Because there are still there are still phone boxes in this. Yeah, day and, age. and the, the phone boxes all contain a like not, not a yellow paper, a Thompson's sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, like a big phone directory, which which did used to be true, didn't it? I mean, I remember that. Yeah, I mean, in in, in this is a good one oh. in Terminator when they're looking oh. for Sarah when S- Terminator's Sarah looking Connor. for Sarah Connor. Sirakana. What's that? Sirakana. Sira. Sirakana. Sirakana. My Terminator. Oh right. Okay. Well, fair enough. It was, it was a good robot. Good robot. <laughs> um, he looks down the listings for Sarah. All the Sarah Connors. Yeah. And one of them, I'm not. I can't remember if it's the one that he actually is our the, the heroine yeah. is from Doncaster. Well, he's in America. It's there's Doncaster in America. Oh. Well, just remember, Doncaster is is not where the Pilgrim Fathers came from, but not, not too far from yeah, in the environ. In the environs, in the in the borough. Yeah. So there you go. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's how they do it. They go down the list, find the person that they want, then address the envelope with their little printout of the menu. Yeah. They've called themselves Vengeance, Vengeance is Mine Inc. Inc. Which again is a bit American, isn't it? In corporate, yeah. You'd be limited. Limited. Over here, wouldn't you? Yeah. Or, or just vengeance is mine. Yeah. 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 Um, and then they will post that, ring the doorbell, post the letter, run off, Scarpa. Yeah. So that person will then, it's addressed to Mr. Wilbur, Mr. Wilbur would open the letter, see what's going on, realise, you know what? This is a good idea. I'll get back in touch. It doesn't quite work like that this time, though, does it? No, because what they've not accounted for is Mr. Wilbur's untrustworthiness. So his wife has picked up the post and is, and she's decided, ah, oh, he's up to no good again. I will open this letter. Of course, it's not what she expected. Because what's happened is the, she's confront, she confronts the maid and asks for a necklace back. Yeah. Because... This is the one of the stories that's been reported. Mr. Wilbur has given her a pearl necklace. Oh. Right? Oh. Right? And uh, she, she knows about it. For, so she knows about that from, the, uh, from Brewster's column, does she? Yeah. That's, well, I, that's what I got. Right. Maybe not. Maybe she's just... But I think what, we're, what the story is going for here is that he's, up, he's constantly up to no good. Huh. So if a letter comes through the door... She's going to have a read of it. Right. Just to keep tabs on him. She's, yeah. She just doesn't trust him. She doesn't. And, and obviously, I think, therefore, when she sees this vengeance is mine, she probably has her own light bulb moment. Yeah. So that's when evil mu- evil idea music comes right. in. Right. I didn't know. <laughs> right. Now then. <laughs> so, so, the next, what we don't, it's difficult to play out when we're narrating this, but this is what's happening now, is that Mr. Wilbur will eventually get that post yeah. and will eventually call for the, the services of Vengeance is Mine Inc. Yeah. Okay, with his own request. But what's also happening is that Mrs. Wilbur has thought, I'll get them over. So she sends a telegram out to the two boys 
and says, I want to meet you at my place. Yeah. She gets them back. Now then, that's isn't the point it, where... It's surprising how cumbersome it was to make arrangements in those days before the internet. Because, yeah. you know, email and stuff like that. But in this one, they're having to walk to people's houses, they're having to go into phone boxes. I quite liked it, actually. I quite liked the idea that you, you couldn't you couldn't do stuff so easy. Yeah, oh well. I mean that was one thing when I was working. I hated the fact that uh, you get like 10 voicemails, you get 30 emails, and everybody expected a response straight away. Whereas when people were writing to you, then, you know, a couple of days, they'd be all right with it. Nowadays, if you don't get back to somebody within an hour, they think you something's wrong. So this is why you have to set your stall out. Right. So what I've said at work is that I'll, I will happily look at emails first thing in the morning right. and for about half an hour in the evening. But anything that's happening in the day, I'll, I'll have to deal with afterwards. Our team have adopted this, this messaging board for that reason, so that we can keep in touch as and when. As soon as there's some important sticky name on it, you can have a quick read. Right. Okay. But it sorts out the wheat from the chaff. The wheat. Oh, the wheat. Wheat from the chaff, yeah. Yeah. What's the chaff then? Chaff is when you get uh, like uh, ears of corn, yeah. they used to throw it up in the air and catch it again in like a big sieve sort of thing. Bef- this was before the internet? Yeah, this was before the internet. And the uh, chaff is like the husks and stuff like that off the ears of corn. That's much lighter. That would, could be blown away by the breeze. You'd, you'd finish up with the grains in the bottom, and that was separating the wheat from the chaff. Was that before mobiles then? Yeah, it was when I was right. young. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, it separated the wheat from the chaff. Wheat, wheat from the chaff. Now then, so then, the, to almost um, uh, indicate that there is a commercial break coming up, yeah. the boys get the telegram on, yeah. with the instruction to meet, and it is delivered to their bedsit. By their landlady, I'm guessing. Yeah, who sort of looks like every landlady that ever existed. Apart from the one that we've covered in season one yeah. of this but podcast. sort of stereotypical, probably 1960s landlady. Yeah, so th- this is what she does. She hands them the telegraph, and as she's doing so, she's taking that as an opportune moment to look... to, to look behind the wizard's curtain <laughs> to, to see what's going on. In their apartment, their little bedsit. Which is nothing much. It, it won't be anything. There's not enough yeah. space to do no. anything, is there? Anyway, it looks like after day one of this idea, they've got a hit. They've got a bite. Two. Two bites. Yeah, two telegrams. Now then. No, they've got two letters. Two letters. And then a telegram comes. Oh, that's right. Two letters. One is from Wilbur, Mr. Yeah. Wilbur. Yeah. One is from the other person. Who's, yeah, whose name was something like Gilpo or something. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Gilpo. Yeah. Okay, and a telegram from Mrs. Wilbur. Now then, th- that's then the bit where they're uh, arranging, yes, we have, we have, we're successful. We're yeah. going to go ahead with this. But first of all, let's meet with Mrs. Wilbur. Commercial break. Then we meet up in her house. And she starts explaining that um, he's, he's, he's a bastard. Well, or, or is she more sort of saying that she's concerned for the consequences? I don't think she lets them know. Sorry, thinks. that's right. That's her information because this is her idea that she's yeah. keeping planned. So she's saying, I want to protect him. Yeah. 
So, so what saying, are what your precautions are you taking? Yeah. Protecting from the what consequences. Will you, what will you be wearing? So she's so he says, well, we can do disguises. And she's thinking, That's, that was what I was thinking. Wear a disguise. Good idea, in fact. As, it, as luck would have it. In, in as the, random chance it, would dictate. Yeah. Uh, I, in the olden days, used to be an actress. Yeah. And, and did my own makeup. Had to do my own makeup. I'll see what I've got in the back and I can help you out. So then. The, the, we don't see it at this point. No, though. we don't. But then they're setting up the rest of their stunt. They're going to have to buy a getaway car, a cheap old getaway car that can't be traced. Yeah. But but in, to to introduce this scene, we, we're almost transported back to Victorian England. Yeah, you could you could imagine somebody separating wheat from chaff. There, yeah, because, because there's, there's a horse and cart. Yeah. For no reason at all. <laughs> that drives past and makes way for some uh, archers. There's archers where uh, the, uh, the underhand sale of a car is taking place. I don't know how much it costs. I didn't see it on the thing. Yeah, I think I think they're renting it. Oh, just for the day, the yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They buy this car, and it's at this point that the Peter Cook type guy goes, "I'm having second thoughts." Yeah, I, I actually wrote there, Peter Cook's having second thoughts. <laughs> right, okay. And then it doesn't take him long to go. No, I'm, I'll yeah, stick with it. Right. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll I wonder what on. that plot device was about. Well, the only thing I noticed was that this was the second time they'd mentioned Shakespeare. Because of Hamlet. That was this time, yeah. yeah. And first time round, one of them had written some sort of thing saying that Shakespeare was a nun or something like that. Right, but what is the, what was the Hamlet line here? Because it, because Julian Fellows goes, oh, don't go all Hamlet on me. Yeah, yeah. And is that, does, does that insinuate that he's, that Hamlet was somebody who uh, thought best of it? I know it's a sort of tragedy. Don't buy, don't. Read Hamlet just to find that out right. because I don't think there's any need. Whatever happens, listeners, is that they have second thought, or one of them has second thoughts, but, but then but it appears to go nowhere. Straight away decides that now I'll go on my first, uh, yeah. first thoughts. Well, now it's night time. They're in the car. They, I'm just going to say that they have telephoned the two clients, Mr. Uh, Wil- Mr. Wilbur, is that one of them? And they've not telephoned, uh, they have gone to the yeah. post office. Right, and tele. Telegram. Telegrammed. The two clients. Which is Wilbur and apparently Gilpo. <laughs> so, <laughs> to say, come and meet us here. Uh, right. Outside the Astor Club, I think it is. Yeah. 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. That's where we'll be. That's where it's going to be done. Yeah. So, um, now they've got a sort of like, the, it's night time by the way, and they've got their story set out on how to get him out of the club. Yeah. How to get Mr. Wilbur... No, sorry, Lionel Brewster outside of the club. Yeah. And uh, the, 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 the foe is that he's a Russian... A Soviet... Diplomat. Diplomat or something. That it's Is, a matter of urgency. Yeah. To come out. Yeah. Somewhere. Which, wouldn't that be for a different... New uh, yeah. journal rather than a gossip columnist. Brewster might be one of those that's like, "Hey, this is my way out of the gossip columns." Oh, so yeah, yeah. anyway, that's so that's what I think that's what they're hoping for. Before this happens, we don't get to see what the disguise is. Absolutely. Uh, and then the camera kind of pans and we see George, and he's dressed up as an old bloke. At uh, which point, I put, I put, I think I know what the twist is. Right. Okay. Because the the. It is quite an elaborate costume. It's very good, isn't it? It's I mean, brilliant. It's very good for bad effects. It's really. surprising, though, yeah. that Mrs. Baskerville uh, had all Has that this stuff, all that yeah, makeup, yeah. And beard, and all that sort of yeah. stuff. 
lying around the house. Anyway. I mean, if she was an actress, what, what was she doing trying to be a down there? Like yeah. That? Yeah, I mean, it could have been all, it could have been something else, couldn't it? Like pubes. It could, yeah, yeah, it could have been. But George, who's Julian Fellows, looks great in a moustache. Yeah. It really suited him. Anyway, so he's dressed as an old guy, grey hair, glasses, hat, hat yeah. sort of like uh, Inspector Clouseau Mac. Yeah, it's um, like an Inspector Clouseau hat as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it really is, yeah. But he looks like a bit like a spy as yeah. well. So that's what he's doing. He goes to the club entrance and the, he meets a doorman and he gets his attention. Psst, over here. The yeah. doorman limps over to him. <laughs> Now, I'll come back to that point in a second. Uh, what, the limp? The limp, okay. Right. But he says, I need to drop this note off. And, and he says it in a, in a, in a, in a faux Eastern European accent. Yeah, the, he says, I um, need to drop this note for Mr. Brewster. Yeah, or he could have been Dracula. You're right, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, um, he says he's a Soviet official. Now, I am Soviet official. Yeah, he fails because the, the, the doorman, the, door, the bellhop, whatever they think. I'm going doorman. Doorman. He is wearing a new pair of shoes. Yeah, which are hurting his feet. He says he's being murdered by his shoes. And he can't take another step in case it slices something off his foot. Yeah, so clear off. Right. Which is a very unusual response, yeah. isn't it? So I, I was half expecting us to return to this story. Spoiler, we don't. There is absolutely no reason for that particular point there. <laughs> However... He then, from out of the bush, <laughs> George <laughs> presents a... A really crumpled fibre. Yeah, a five-pound note, and it's just it was presented into view, and he goes, all right, then, okay. And then he... So he drops the note off inside. Yeah. He's, a man, man comes out. Another man comes out and, and just stares at him and goes, what's the matter with you? Yeah. Now, I didn't know who that other man was at this time. Did you find out later? No. Um, anyway, then, the other man... Comes out now. When you say the other man, Brewster. Brewster, sorry, Brewster. now steps out and he's looking around. Yeah. In in the air, in the fresh air, because of course, let's just go back a second. They've actually, they know he's going to be here because they've worked out his pattern. They've been yeah. following him for a while. We didn't see any of that, but that's why they know he's well, going to be here. Well, what's happened is Peter Cook knows somebody who works on the sports section of the Daily Bugle. He's rung him, and uh, he's found out that this guy is always in the Astor Club because that's where he meets his contacts. Ah, there we go. Yes, because he gets tidbits and then embellishes the story yeah. later on. Yeah. So he thinks he's got a story, so he's eager to come out. And then he goes, you'll have to come over here. Yeah. You'll have to come over here. Yes, come over here. Come over here for a minute. And then... Whack. Punches him. Right in the face. And then, with glee... <laughs> runs off like a madman yeah and then uh, on his run away and they're all kind of like the, the, the man that stood by the door the bellhop and doorman uh. and Brewster are kind of like in a bit of confusion yeah meanwhile George is pegging it running away yeah and somebody sort he of appears past somebody that's right we only see from the back at this stage yeah. don't we but what he does is he congratulates him he says I saw it all yeah. so now we know that's must be Mr Wilbur believing that that's what's happened yeah or it could be Mr Greco but we don't know at this point we don't know at that point we do find out in a second as he turns around now what the the, the creators or the production team of Tales of Expected do is as the man turns around they pause the screen 
Right. Just for a couple of seconds. A bit like in the uh, B, the B one. Yeah, so we can see. The we can see what they're meant to be seeing. And that is, we are seeing the sight of Mr. Wilbur, who looks pretty much exactly Absolute like... Absolute dead ringer. The guy who has been made up by Mrs. Wilbur yeah. as a disguise. Yeah. So he runs past him, but he hasn't seen the likeness yet. Uh, that's both of them. Yeah. And it's only when he gets into the car that the Tom Peter Cook guy yeah. goes, uh, he looked exactly like you, what you're wearing. Yeah. So we'll come back to that in a minute because what happens next is the the doorman and the uh, Brewster and the other guy that was stood outside yeah. chase after him, say, that's the guy there who, of course, it's not. This is the actual Mr. Wilbur. Yeah. And he starts getting attacked. The police are called. He, I wrote down, he's grabbed by the bouncers. He's grabbed by the bouncers, <laughs> yeah. And a woman appears around the corner. We don't know her story, do well, we? Well, I'll tell you what I think. Do you think she's one of the ones he's in flagrante delicto with? Uh-huh. Right. Because she tries to save him a bit, doesn't she? She no, she seems to know Wilbur. Yeah. And leave him alone, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But he's getting properly attacked, and he's rushed. he's brought back down to the hotel entrance where the police turn up in one of their big cars yeah big 80s cars with the with the red stripes on. yeah the yeah you used to call them jam sandwich back in those days. <laughs> yeah that's a, yeah because it's white with the red, red stripe. white yeah. yeah that's nice that and uh, it, he's taken away he's arrested well him and the woman are arrested yeah but we're seeing this from the point of view of somebody who sat in another car uh-huh. just behind some bushes and that somebody is Mrs. Wilbur. Who laughs, and that would have been kind of like a nice poetic ending, but we're, we're obviously left with the fate of yeah. the two getaway drivers, Tom and George, who, as they realise, she's set us up, she's made us look like him so that he would get arrested. But they don't actually lose. It's just... Well, except that, once he's arrested... He's going to say, look, it weren't me. It was these two guys from Vengeance's Mining. That's who did it. Oh, so they're setting so they're, him they're, up. So uh, they're going right. to get caught anyway, aren't they? Because what's he going to do? He's, he's sort of got an eye... There'll be eyewitnesses yeah. saying it was him, and he's going to have to say... Oh. But he's still going to be up for it, yeah. because he's hired him in the first and, place. And actually, Brewster comes out of this looking a little bit like a martyr, actually. He's been attacked in broad, in broad dark light. Dark light, yeah. Because it's two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So, anyway, as they realise their fate, they they lose control of the car and, and crash, and I guess this is the poetic justice, they crash into the billboard of Lionel Brewster's gossip column yeah. advert. And that's it, the car goes through the poster, clang, 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 the music starts uh, and the woman starts dancing at the end. I mean, I'll just say that in the 1980s, which 1980 version, the story, the story, there, there is no Mrs. Wilbur who makes them up like Mr. Wilbur. So, so the the tale of the unexpected, the unexpected doesn't exist in that story. But what? But it's but it's in the book of the unexpected. Yeah, but that's not what happens. She she's not in it. What happens there is that they do the punching on the nose, they drive away and they're being followed by somebody, but uh, they think it's the cops, but uh, 
when this fella catches up with them, is one of the customers, and he says he'll pay them double their fee and tells them to get out of town quickly. <laughs> they wait another day to receive the rest of their payment, then catch a train out of town. They discuss their plan to bet the money on a horse race and daydream about how wealthy and important they'll become. Perhaps we might even get ourselves mentioned in the gossip column. So that's, again, I mean, you know, it's, what is that? It's is, a tale. That's it. It's a tale. It's a tale of fiction. Yeah. Well, he's done it again. I mean, I mean, what they did do with this one, like in a couple of others, is they've, they've strung on a tw- an unexpected yeah. ending. Yeah. And actually, I quite liked this one. I quite liked this one. I thought, and the reason I liked it is because I don't think it was up his arse. Yeah. I think it was doing something quite interesting. And I think the other thing is as well worth bearing in mind, we've said this about the fashion and the attitudes at the time, is that if you accept that mobiles and internet didn't exist, this is the way that they had to do things, that this miscommunication could end up being like this. It could end, they could, you know, without yeah. an email being sent to kind of clarify things and yeah. be there at particular times, This that could have happened. And... The surprise might have been a bit more extreme back in the eighties. Yeah, well, I sort of, I sort of wonder about that, and thinking that in suspense films or stories, it must be hard writing round the mobile phone situation because you can. I mean, a lot of people just use it, don't they? They they stick it in, but make it as make it a plot point. Yeah. Rather than a, a an innocent think, bystander. There's a temptation, I think, to have to write stuff that's in olden times, by which I mean seventies and eighties, merely to get round the fact that really you just ring ring somebody if like whatever happened. There was something up. Yeah. I'll give them a call. Yeah. What? Why aren't they there? I won't do anything about it then. <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right. Well, that's how it ends. It ends with a crash. It ends with a bit of a comedy moment. You know, every, most people are laughing at the end of this. And it is a twist, definitely. Definitely. And also some nice characters and some good acting in this one as well. Yeah. I mean, you keep mentioning Tom, where we've been calling him Peter Cook. If it is Tom, then that is played by Bosco Hogan. That was Bosco. That was Bosco Well, he was an American, and that is a very American name. Well, it is, isn't it? You can't get much more American than a Bosco Hogan. Although Bosco himself was, in fact, born in Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) Or Irish. Or Irish. That was what I was getting at. That is what I was getting at. Well, that is the end of uh, this episode. This was season three, episode... Four, I think. Um, yeah, and right. what we haven't, I mean, it's now uh, been gone a bit quiet in London now, hasn't it? Yeah, so yeah, I think yeah. that's just because we're in the suburbs a little bit more because that club was a little bit more exclusive. Exclusive, yeah, exclusive. Yeah. I couldn't breathe then, I sort of forgot about breathing then. We've got to do something now. If we're going to go on our dinner, we're going to do something. I can't remember what it was. I forget what we're we'll going to do in our dinner hour, however. Let's have a little bit of a prelude to what's happening next time. Next time, it's a girl can't always have everything. This is this is one that's not uh, had the hand of uh, Roald in it, and it's but it has got one of our favourites, Joan Collins, in it. Ooh, she uh, is a person who's sharing a flat uh, with another girl. Called Pauline, who's played Paul, by Pauline Collins. I don't think there's any connection there, is there? No, no, I don't think so. But what I can tell you about this one is, is that there is underwear involved. 
Right. Yes. Uh, where is it set so we can get us train tickets? Well, I think we'll just stay here in London. It, it, it's it's in England, uh, it's, it's, so it's, we'll just stay here. Is it in the? It starts off in a theatre. Maybe we yeah. should just camp out at a random theatre in London. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll strike lucky. Yeah, or Leicester Square. Okay, let's go. Okay, okay. London bound, we is and are. Well, in fact, in London we yeah, are. We're, we'll stay them. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was episode. And this tomorrow, next te- the next one is ne- episode five. five. Okay. We'll see you there. This has been Cobb, Chris, and Rob. <laughs> uh, ta-ra, ta-ra from me too.